Welcome to Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. I'm your host, Christy Stang. It is Holy Week, a time of remembering the life of Jesus as we prepare for the resurrection on Easter Sunday. As we journey with Jesus this week, today's episode will focus on Maundy Thursday, the day when we remember Jesus' final Passover with his disciples. I'd like to welcome Drake Douglas as our preacher today. Drake is a first-year MDiv student at Yale Divinity School. When not putting his nose in the books, he spends way too much time, attention, and money on his dog, Berkeley. Drake is a postulant for holy orders in the Diocese of Rhode Island, where he calls home. Drake, thank you for bringing your voice to this podcast today. May I speak in the name of the one who loved his own who were in the world and who loved them to the end. Amen. The gospel account at the root of Maundy Thursday offers up so much wonderful imagery to us. The smell of the food at Jesus' last supper with his friends and followers, the sound of water running through his fingers, and the accompanying gasps of the scandalized disciples as he washes their dust-covered feet, the flicker of oil lamps throwing restless shadows on the walls of the upper room. Indeed, all this imagery begs for expression, and it finds it in some of the most masterful artists of our world. Da Vinci's Last Supper is likely coming to mind. Indeed, its beauty is boundless, and its storytelling is so very skilled. The artist captures so many emotions in the faces of the disciples. Curiosity, disbelief, anger, and even despair. All of these faces portray what we might expect to see from this group, the ones who have lived and traveled for years with their teacher and their friend. All of these faces, but one. In da Vinci's work, like so many others, Jesus' expression of serenity is just striking. And while I can appreciate the faithfulness and the sense of radical acceptance, maybe, that it conveys on Jesus' behalf, I've always found it a little hard to believe. And a little annoying, actually. I mean, think of it. How can you drop this kind of monumental news on your disciples and on us, by extension, with some veiled comments about you not being around for much longer and an impending betrayal. How can you say this and then just seem so cool about it? I wonder if, like other potent stories in the Gospels, our recreation and our familiarity with the Last Supper has, you know, polished it up a bit, perhaps covering up some of the raw humanity that it likely would have conveyed to early listeners. Maybe it's the influx of so much raw humanity that we've swam in these past few years, for good or for ill. But this year, the Last Supper story plays out differently in my imagination. For years, Jesus spoke to his followers in crazy-making parables, and he argued skillfully with the best lawyers of the day. He spoke of love for neighbor, love for God, choosing love over law. 
Love was most definitely in the center of his message. But given his confusing delivery at times, I've always found it a little easy to understand why so many listeners might have had a bit of a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. This night, however, is different. Jesus comes to supper and to a literal table with new information and an awareness that time is running out. Time to pull his flock into a deeper, nuanced understanding of God's love for them. Time to work through all of the egoic barrier to trusting in God's provision. Time to show mercy in a way that convinces us that the weakest among us really hold the secret to our success. He was out of time. And because of this, it's difficult for me to believe that Jesus then delivered some serene, tidy pep talk to his disciples about love. No, I believe in a Jesus who would have communicated the urgency that we catch a glimpse of in tonight's reading. Perhaps Jesus knew he needed to do something dramatic to get his followers to know that this lesson was pivotal. And so he upended every sense of social convention at the time, and he washed his followers' feet. Perhaps to be extra sure he had their attention, he spoke more directly than he tended to. And he told them that he wasn't going to be around much longer. And even more, that they couldn't come with him where he was going, those beloved friends of his. And so instead of reclined and casual at his place at the table, like we see in da Vinci's work, I have a different picture of Jesus as he delivers this final commandment. Gazing at them and at us so intently as to cradle our faces in his hands, fighting back tears due to the impending loss he knows is to come, but being resolute in his faithfulness and care for this most important cause. He tells them, you must love each other. It is the only way. If you have any chance to take my message into the world, you must, must, must love one another. It's the simplest answer to the most complex problem. How do we live? Well, Jesus will say we love. But before we jump into the warm fuzziness that is often associated with love in our culture, it's important, especially now, during our entry into Christ's passion, that we lean into the terrific challenge that also accompanies this commandment. This kind of love is costly, and it can be messy, and it always is scandalous to the powers that be. It got Jesus into a whole mess of trouble, after all. The powers of our world do not reward the kind of love Jesus commands us to carry out. Perhaps that's why he mentions not being of this world so often. In fact, we will likely be losers in the face of a love like this. Maybe a lost status or lost influence or lost treasure. This kind of love just doesn't add up in our system of what's in it for me. Let's not forget that although Jesus knew what Judas was to do, he still washed his feet. But it's been a hard few years 
to love like Jesus. At least for me. Maybe you can relate. In trying to root out why, I wonder if the compulsion to seek blame before love, or seek dismissal before love, or seek comfort before love, hasn't been met with a proper kind of counterweight. But in that way, only Jesus does. He offered up a strikingly different commandment to love radically. But alongside it, he also offered up a sacrament to aid us in that struggle to live up to that commandment. In this supper, we partake of him as he loved and still loves us to the end. Indeed, it is a love that will cost us greatly, at least according to the economics of our world, the economics of power, of influence, of might, of success. But this same love that will cost us so much can also morph our lives into lives lived so fully, so deeply, so humanely, so sacramentally, that it cannot end. This life of love will live on past death. This life of love will be an eternal life. Amen. This has been Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. Thank you for listening.